Hey, y'all, we're rerunning two episodes today. Enjoy the show. Hi, I'm Eves. Welcome to This Day in History class, a show that reveals a little bit more about history day by day. The day was January 23rd, 1849. Elizabeth Blackwell, an English immigrant and former school teacher, became the first woman to get a medical degree from an American medical school. As a person who once said she hated, quote, bodies and everything about them, this was quite a reversal. But okay, the transformation wasn't as black and white as I'm making it seem. She had her reasons for becoming a doctor. Let's start from the beginning. In 1821, Elizabeth was born in Bristol, England, to Hannah Lane and Samuel Blackwell. And as it turns out, Elizabeth wasn't the only one in her family who was full of contradictions. Her family was Congregationalist, which is a Protestant faith. They were also super liberal. No, that's not the contradiction. Many Congregationalists held socially liberal views. The thing was, Elizabeth's family were abolitionists and slave owners. Yep. Her father was a sugar refiner who used slaves for labor. But clearly, the irony caught up with them. In 1832, after the sugar refinery burned down and Papa Blackwell felt the urge to really pursue anti-slavery efforts, Elizabeth, her parents, and her four sisters and four brothers packed up and left for the land of opportunity. And they really hit the ground running. They moved from New York to Jersey City to Cincinnati, all the while ramping up their abolitionist activities and getting buddy-buddy with big names in the movement, like William Lloyd Garrison. But their father died not long after they got to Ohio, leaving the family poor. Elizabeth and two of her sisters started a girls' school and expanded their activism to education access, while the oldest brother started working in the mayor's office. Just think about it. In early 19th century America, the literacy rate for women was way lower than men's. Girls and women had just started being accepted to public high schools and higher education institutions, and non-white girls and women were facing all sorts of discrimination and oppression when it came to education. So it makes sense that Elizabeth began advocating for women and girls' education, too. But years later, after a stint teaching in Kentucky, Elizabeth returned to Cincinnati with an urge to do something different. At first, she was pretty averse to studying medicine, A dying friend of hers was sure she would have suffered a lot less had her doctor been a woman. But even at the request of a dying friend, our girl Elizabeth said later in her autobiography that, quote, the very thought of dwelling on the physical structure of the body and its various ailments filled me with disgust. Fortunately, Elizabeth switched up her tune and decided the doctor life was for her. That's because, one, she wouldn't have to get married because being a doctor and being a wife were just two things that didn't work well together. Two, she believed that if more women were doctors, the world would be a better place. And three, she could help defy the stigma that female doctors were abortionists. There were just a few tiny, okay, big problems. Med school was for dudes, and it cost a ton of money. So while saving money through teaching jobs in North and South Carolina, she studied under a couple of doctors. After she moved to Philadelphia in 1847 and started applying to medical colleges, people reacted pretty much how you'd expect them to at a time when women weren't accepted in med school. They taunted her, rejected her, and told her she'd need to go to Paris or at least pretend she was a man. Well, the joke was on them. 
Elizabeth finally received a pretty warm and welcoming letter of acceptance from Geneva Medical College in New York. So in November 1847, she headed to Geneva to start her studies. And when she got there, she found out that they thought her application was the joke. But her classmates and teachers treated her pretty well, even though the townsfolk in Geneva metaphorically held their breath when she walked by. But Elizabeth was resilient. After her first year at Geneva, she went back to Philadelphia, where she worked with the poor and Irish immigrants. When she went back to New York for year two of her degree, she did her thesis on typhus. And in 1849, she became Dr. Elizabeth Blackwell. The rest of her years as a doctor were no walk in the park. She studied medicine and midwifery in London and Paris, but worked a lot. And her dreams of becoming a surgeon ended when she lost one of her eyes to an infection caused by gonorrhea. She got that infection while, you guessed it, working. And the idea of a woman doctor was so new and detested by many that she struggled to get patients. But it would be a lie to say her challenges and detractors got the upper hand. In 1857, she, her sister, Dr. Emily Blackwell, and another doctor opened the New York Infirmary for Women and Children. Later, she founded the Women's Central Association of Relief to train women to be nurses in the Civil War. And eventually, the infirmary opened a medical college. By the time she died in 1910, Dr. Blackwell's work for women in higher education and medicine far transcended her title as the first woman to get a medical degree in the United States. I'm Eves Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. You can subscribe to This Day in History class on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to Chandler Mays for all his production help. We'll be back with more history tomorrow. Hello, history lovers. I'm Eves, and you're listening to This Day in History class, a show that uncovers history one day at a time. The day was January 23rd, 1556. A huge earthquake hit Shanxi province in northern China. It's believed to be the deadliest earthquake in recorded history. The earthquake struck Shanxi and the neighboring province of Shanxi early that morning. The pronunciations of those two provinces are very similar and have slight tonal differences, so I'm probably getting them wrong, but I'm going to go with it. The earthquake is estimated to have been a magnitude 8 on the moment magnitude scale. It's not the strongest earthquake ever recorded, but it caused great destruction in the region. The area where it hit was heavily populated, and buildings were not constructed with earthquakes in mind. The quake caused ground fissures, subsidence, and landslides. It destroyed mountains, caused flooding, and caused fires. Villages near the epicenter were completely destroyed. The disaster is believed to have reduced the population of Shanxi and Shanxi by around 60%. The epicenter of the earthquake is recorded as being in the Wei River Valley in Shanxi province, near the cities of Huaxian, Weinan, and Huayin. But damage was recorded as much as 300 miles or 500 kilometers away from the epicenter. In some places, crevices as deep as 60 feet were carved out of the earth. An estimated 830,000 people died in the disaster. That said, this number could be too high or too low. 
Monuments were also lost in the disaster. The small wild goose pagoda, built around 709, lost around six feet in height. Many of the artifacts in the Stile Forest in China were damaged or destroyed, including works from a collection called the Tong Stone Classics. The Tong Stone Classics are a group of Chinese works that were engraved on 114 stone tablets. Dozens of those tablets were broken in the earthquake. Aftershocks continued for half a year after the Shanxi earthquake. Many survivors were injured in the disaster or had no shelter. Many people in the region previously lived in Yaodongs, a type of earth shelter carved out of a hillside. Because the Yaodongs were made with soft, less soil, the people who lived in these homes were extremely vulnerable to having their homes collapse on them. Because many of those who died were killed by falling buildings, people began to think about what they could do to prevent such destruction from happening again. People considered the risk of earthquakes in construction and used materials like bamboo and wood rather than stone and buildings. And tips on how to act during an earthquake, like staying inside and crouching down, were recorded. The 1556 Shanxi earthquake is ranked as the third deadliest natural disaster ever, behind the 1931 China floods and the 1887 Yellow River flood. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you have any insight on an accent or a pronunciation spoken in the show today, you can feel free to send us a kind note on social media at TDIHCpodcast. Our email address is thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll be back tomorrow.